invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, reading to the end of the chapter. We have been going through Ephesians throughout this fall and looking at what it means to be the church, as Paul writes to a church that he knew well, a church that he had been at for some three years in Ephesus. He, he used it as his, his station for going out to other churches, other cities in Asia Minor, founding churches there. Uh, you may recall the one incident in, in uh, the book of Acts where uh, Paul stirred things up, caused a riot actually uh, within the community of Ephesus because he was preaching uh, about a different god than they were used to. They were used to the goddess Artemis. In fact, they boasted one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis. And that, that temple uh, overshadowed not only the religious life of uh, people such as this fledgling group of Christians, but it also overshadowed a lot of the other life of the, of the uh, community as well. Uh, if you wanted to be involved in the civ civic and political life, you basically had to bow the knee to to Artemis, you, to go to a, a local board meeting or to go to a town meeting, you would have to bow the knee, maybe offer some incense to the goddess Artemis. If you wanted to uh, be, have a shop or, or you were a craftsman and wanted to sell your goods, you also had to bow the knee to Artemis uh, in, in order to do that or otherwise people probably wouldn't frequent your shop. If you wanted to be involved in the social life of the church, same thing. And this is true of a lot of the churches that Paul writes to. They were dealing with that, that being in a culture that was dominated by a different god. Sometimes it was emperor worship, sometimes it was another god or goddess. And that it was, it was hard for them to be able to, to live in that culture that's dominated by a different religion and to get along. And uh, so they're asking questions. What does it mean to be the church? And Paul reminds them that they've been chosen by God from before the foundations of the world to be the church in that place. And so God has a role for them. And then Paul talks a little bit about how they live as a church. But throughout the letter, as we saw earlier, there was this prayer kind of running through. And one of the key themes in the prayer is power. At the end of the first part of the prayer, and at the beginning of the second part of the prayer, Paul's talking about power, and, and he's praying that they might have open eyes to the power that's available for them. And they might have been asking, well, what power is that? And so Paul makes it clear at the very end of his letter as he talks about putting on God's power in the form of the uh, armor of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning, the armor of God. And so we read from chapter 6, verse 10, through the end of Paul's letter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, 
with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And then he wraps up with some greeting at the end and and, uh, a call to, to peace. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. We include our reading there. We will be going back and looking at some of these verses. You may want to keep your Bibles open. But let's open with prayer. Holy Spirit, as you inspired Paul to write these words, to use this image of armor, to talk about the power the Father has available for us, we pray that you would now inspire them to us. See, Help us to see the armor that we can put on. Help us to know where our armor might be weak. Help us to be willing uh, to be engaged in the battle you have for us, not in our own strength, but in God's power. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're wrapping up Ephesians this week. And as Paul writes to the Ephesians, we've seen that he seems to be addressing the question, what does it mean to be a little church in a big city? And he does so by reminding them that God has chosen them, that God has chosen us from before the creation of the world to be building blocks in his temple and to be his church in this place. He also addresses the question, how then do we live as part of this new community? By giving ethical instructions on on living as individuals, as children of light, but also in relationships, whether it's uh, relationships with the church or relationships in the family through humility and mutual submission. But the last question he deals with is, where do we get the power to be the church, to be Christians in in this world? Now, the new community, the church, is God's idea, and so, as you might imagine, Satan fights fiercely against it. Paul warns the Ephesian church and us that Satan will try to bring about the downfall of the church. And so we need to be prepared. So how should we be prepared? Well, Paul says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the whole armor, full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Paul reminds us where we get the power 
It comes from God. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. It's the power that comes from God. Now, as we saw, he's already prayed in his prayer that we might have open eyes to the power available for us. For example, he says in chapter 1, verse 19, he prays that we might have open eyes to his incomparably great power for us who believe. That, and then he goes on to explain what is that power? What are some examples of that power? And he says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. So Paul says, you want to know about that power? You want to understand what kind of power it is? It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the power through which Jesus rules his church and the power through which Jesus rules the world. And then when he picks up his prayer later in the middle of chapter 3, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So Paul says, that power is available for you. It's available for you personally. It's available for you as a church, he says. And now we're in the battle. So it's time to put it on. It's time to put it on. We're in a battle. What does that mean? Who is our opponent in the battle? What do you see as your opponent today? Who might you see as your opponent today? A job keeping you away from your family? A disease? Maybe a state government that still allows abortion? Or a federal government that we may feel overtaxes us? Maybe it's alcohol or drugs. A neighbor, a colleague, a classmate who makes your life hard? Certain temptations? A fear of death? Insecurity? Sinful habits? Name your personal demon. Paul asks, who's behind it all? And the answer is Satan. Satan who is crafty and evil and powerful. For Paul says, our battle is not with flesh and blood. All those opponents that are flesh and blood opponents, there's Satan lies behind them. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but ultimately with the spiritual forces of evil. Now that may sound like an ancient myth or a Star Wars movie, but it's the biblical truth. The real opponent behind many of our personal demons is Satan. So how do we oppose so mighty an opponent? Notice that Paul lists rulers and authorities and powers. And what he's talking about there is not just general leadership, flesh and blood leadership. He's talking about uh, there are actually ranks of evil forces in the universe, spiritual evil forces that were called by those names, rulers, authorities, and powers. And so Satan is the head of them. But if you remember back in that prayer in chapter 1, 
He says, uh, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. So he uses that same list of those spiritual forces, those forces of evil, and says Christ in his death, resurrection, and ascension is placed over them. Christ is exalted over them. Jesus already rules over those spiritual forces. And so because he rules over them, we can claim his power. We can claim his power first to stand firm. This power helps us stand our ground. I don't know if you notice that, but Paul says that when the day of evil comes, I want you to be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. To stand. This power helps us stand our ground because our battle is largely defensive. Standing firm is the basic posture of the Christian before evil. John Stott writes, Wobbly Christians who have no firm foothold in Christ are an easy prey for the devil. God's power helps us to stand firm against temptation, oppressive governments, critical people, evil desire, unjust laws, despair, sinful habits. But we're not simply to rely passively on God's power. Paul says, put it on. And now he uses this analogy. It's like a a soldier arming for battle. The question Paul has for us is, are we armed with God's power? Or are we naively naked? Or perhaps are we foolishly armed with the wrong power? Frederick Buechner writes, How often don't we arm ourselves with the armor of man? Belt of human wisdom. Breastplate of self-confidence. Feet shod with the gospel of success. Shield of financial security. Helmet of attractiveness or personality. Sword of eloquent speech. Paul says that's not the power you put on. And he goes on to describe six pieces of armor in the rough order in which a Roman soldier might put them on, using them as metaphors of aspects of God's power a Christian needs. So let's look at the armor that we are to be equipped with. First of all, in verse 14, he says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Uh, A Roman soldier had a a leather belt. It was actually what the the, uh, sword hung from. And this leather belt secured their clothing, and it also secured their armor so that it was, everything was in place and it wouldn't uh, get in the way or fall apart in the heat of battle. Paul says we need a belt like that. And he calls it the belt of truth. God's truth which becomes our truth. Which is lived out in, in sincerity, in inner integrity. The belt of truth depicts a char- the, one's character that keeps life in place with no loose thoughts, habits, or sins to get in the way. And then he goes on, verse, in the second part of verse 14, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now the breastplate was a major, major piece of armor. It was made of metal and leather, and it protected the vital organs, especially the heart. Paul says, we have available to us the breastplate of righteousness. That is, right standing before God does the same thing as a breastplate. The assurance of a right relationship with God 
protects shots at our heart, our emotions, from being effective and discouraging us. It gives us emotional security, assurance. Then Paul goes on to verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness from, that comes from the gospel of peace. Sure-footed boots is what Roman soldiers wore. They wore leather boots with heavily studded soles. You might think of, say, an athlete's cleats that he uses in, in dirt or in the grass to get a, a firm foothold. That's what they wore, leather boots that allowed them to dig in, stand firm in combat. Paul says our firm footing is provided by the gospel. And it does the same thing. It becomes a solid foundation to help us stand against evil. The only way we can stand is, is by digging in with the word. And then in verse 16 he says, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now a shield would have been wielded probably in their left hand. And it was made of wood on an iron frame and then layered with leather. And depending on the weaponry that the enemy was using, if it was flaming arrows, they would douse this shield in water, get it, get it sopping wet, so that when uh, the flaming arrows of warfare were shot at them, they could not only deflect them, but could put them out as well. Paul says, faith is our shield. Faith causes us to withstand Satan's flaming arrows that he shoots at us. Tests, temptations, sinful habits, persecution, suffering. And Paul says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, a Roman soldier's helmet was made of heavy metal, lined inside with sponge or felt. So it was strong, but it also cushioned or absorbed any whole blow to the head. Paul says, the sure knowledge of salvation is like a helmet. The sure knowledge of salvation is the best defense against the head blows of Satan. We combat playing with our minds, causing doubts, brainwashing us with, with guilt, with the knowledge that in Christ the victory is already assured. In Christ, salvation is already ours. And then he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Roman soldier's sword was a short stabbing sword used in hand-to-hand -hand combat, personal confrontation. It's actually the only offensive weapon that Paul mentions. Our main task is defensive with one exception, and that is to tell forth the Word of God. To tell forth the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So our weapon, our main offensive weapon, is not our good lifestyle. It's not our eloquent speech. It's not our indisputable arguments. It's not even our defense of God's Word. It is God's Word itself. Which the author of Hebrews says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God itself is active. The Word of God itself is wielded by us, not with our great ingenuity or strength, 
but it's simply wielded by putting it forward in it, and it is that word that in Isaiah, God promises will not return to him void, but will accomplish what he desires. Then Paul goes on in verses 18 through 20, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Prayer. Some people call prayer the seventh piece of the armor, but it really underlies the whole process. It is, as we'll sing in a, in a few moments, the way we put on the armor. Prayer is our hotline to Jesus Christ, who is the king and the commander of this battle. It is our access to his spiritual power and energy. It is the means by which God gives us the ability to stand firm. In Greek mythology, there was a character by the name of Achilles, the hero of the Trojan War, and a, a mighty warrior, totally unstoppable. How? Why? Well, as the myth goes, his mother dipped him into the river Styx when he was an infant, rendering him invulnerable, all except the heel that she was holding on to. And after one battle, an enemy shot a random poisoned arrow, which happened to hit the vulnerable heel and kill Achilles. And so we have today our Achilles heel, our area of vulnerability. What is our Achilles heel? We say a chain is as strong as its weakest link. Armor is as well. Consider your armor. What parts are in good shape? What are moldy and rusty? Is our Achilles heel maybe in our family life? Perhaps in our sinful habits? Our lack of assurance, either in the heart or in the head? Certain temptations? Our prayer life? What do we need as individuals and as a church to prepare for battle? What parts of the armor need strengthening? The power is there in Jesus Christ. The question is, are we asking for it? And are we putting it on? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you equip us with power for what you call us to do and who you call us to be. And now we pray that we might be open to your spirit working that power within us and for us, that we might assess the armor that we have and see if there's any weak links that need to be shored up, that we can stand up for you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. It's in the Grace Altar hymnal this time, uh, number 559. Number 559, again, the words of music will be on the screen. And let's stand and, as we sing the four stanzas. <laughs>